Tonight we're going to be talking about sex and intimacy. So if it's your first night, you're actually not alone. There are several of you that this is your first night. So um, hooray, buckle up. Um, so just to put you guys at ease, um, I think you all know that we love an interactive model of workshop rather than teaching. Um, but to just put you at ease, that was your last table discussion for the night. You won't be discussing with your tables about your sex life. Don't worry. Um, we will put you to task to have some conversations with your spouse um, because one of our goals for tonight is to basically be a launching pad for deeper conversations related to sex. Um, we hope that you pick up some helpful tips um, and that you are able, again, that we just start the conversation tonight that can carry into your marriages beyond tonight. If you are listening online, this is for mature audiences only. <laughs> Use your discretion before you proceed. So how many of us are a little nervous tonight? Okay. And the re rest of us maybe just didn't put our hands up. Okay. Um, the truth is God made sex, right? And as Christians, when we're following the Lord... There should be no shame in sex, okay? But there often is, and we realize that, okay? Um, God made sex for us, and it should be celebrated inside of marriage, right? This session is really the culmination of our last four times together, okay? We talked about roles of marriage. We talked about values. We talked about trust and breaking trust, rebuilding trust. We talked about communication and conflict. If you don't do those things well, there might be sex, but there's not intimacy. Okay? We said we're, we're, we're naming this sex and intimacy because intimacy is not always sex, and sex is not always intimacy. But our goal is to bring those things together. Okay? Um, so let's get started and look at God's design for sex. So what, so I, I want, this is group discussion here, okay? Jill's going to grab some markers. Um, what is the purpose of sex? Connection. Reproduction. Another way to self-sacrifice, okay? Fun. Can I get an amen? amen? Pleasure. Unity. Is there fulfillment in sex? What else? Oneness. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. Vulnerability. There's a lot of vulnerability. All good things. Yeah, I think on top of the vulnerability, um, like a, a restoring, like, so I think about Genesis when, um, when Adam and Eve are naked and they're not ashamed, and then that there's like a restoration that God wants to produce in us as we enter into marriage, as we go back to the purpose of marriage, is to reflect Christ to the world. There is a restoration message that God gives 
through us as believers. And so what would it look like for our sex to be getting back to the garden, to be getting back to a place where we are naked and unashamed, where we are fully exposed and fully known, this like intimate knowing. I think about um, passages in Song of Solomon, of course. I mean, how could we have a topic on sex and intimacy without talking about Song of Solomon. Um, There's passionate love there. There's passion and excitement and fun, and there's like this pursual and response. Like it's this beautiful thing that God has created that we get to participate in. Um, Julie Slattery, she's kind of an expert in the field of Christian sexuality, and she talks about how sex is a revealing of God to creation. And she she says that there's the pleasure, passion, and fun. Those are actually traits that belong to God that he is allowing us to experience through sex. And then there's the covenant love, that commitment, the faithfulness, the oneness, the the loyalty that comes with that. Um, that, that God ultimately has made a covenant with us and he has fulfilled that and he has given us himself. There's the intimate knowing that, that God wants to be known and for us he wants to be known and to know us. And then the sacrificial giving that we touched on. So I think Julie Slattery, again, is the, the one who, who breaks it down into those four parts. But that revealing the character of God can actually happen through sex. That's beautiful. Like Austin said, we do want to unwrap some of the shame that would be around sex, intimacy, um, being physical with their spouses. This is kind of where we, like, we wanted to start with the purpose, but also recognizing that there would be a lot of shame, that there would be a lot of timidity, and so we want to go here where we're unwrapping some shame by identifying some common unhelpful mindsets. Um, So it requires a retraining of our brain if we have had wrong mindsets or wrong thinking about sex and intimacy. Um, So maybe growing up in a church has sent some messages that really were not that helpful. And if you look into scriptures, aren't very biblical. Maybe you've been taught that sex is dirty and bad, but then we just said that it's for fun and pleasure and connection and oneness, and those don't sound dirty or bad. Or maybe there's been sexual immorality in your past or pornography as part of that, and that skews our perspective of sex. Um, I know um, I counsel women, so I'm going to say women, even though it's not just women. I know plenty of women who have said, how do I just like flip that switch from like, rehearsal dinner night to have sex with him is bad and dirty but then now I'm supposed to have sex with him and I feel dirty and I feel bad it's like how do I just flip the switch because shame or unhelpful messages um, have creeped in and shaped our perspective so some of the messages that you may have heard from growing up in church the first one was sex is bad and dirty you can't talk about it you shouldn't talk about it if you look at someone wrong you're going straight to hell Especially if you're a teenager, if you're a boy, you're going to make someone pregnant if you just look at her. Like, I mean, seriously. Um, Another unhelpful message that has been very common in the church at large is this idea of duty sex. So that's what I'm going to call it. This is the message that sex is for men. And if you're a really godly wife, then you'll just do it because you're really godly. You're not going to like it. 
it's not going to be enjoyable, but if, if you really love him, then you'll just do it. This is not what we see in scripture. It's terrible. This is not what we see. Let's open to 1 Corinthians 7. Duty sex is the unfortunate message that has been fed our generation that sex is for men and for their needs and that a godly woman just does it to serve her husband, even though it's not enjoyable. While you're turning to 1 Corinthians 7, I want to just give another quick example. If you've ever fed a child anything for the first time and you've said something like this, you're not going to like mushrooms. Do you think they like mushrooms? No. So the message we've been feeding women is, you're not going to like sex. And so what do we have? A generation of women who might be struggling to like sex when that's not really the problem. It's not that we aren't designed for sex. It's not that we aren't designed to enjoy it. But we've been sent a message that we need to unravel. All right, 1 Corinthians 7. I'm getting fiery. Okay, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Does the Bible say that sex is for men? Alone. No, the first thing mentioned here is give to the wife her marital rights and vice versa. We see this language of mutuality, that sex is for both parties. We have to get past this idea of sex is duty. Now, hear me, particularly women. If it is not enjoyable for you, I hope that you'll have some tips before you leave tonight. And there is hope, okay? So just because you've been fed this message doesn't mean you have to stay there. But don't feel shame that you've been fed the message, right? Um, even Song of Solomon, if you read that, a lot of the language is the woman pursuing and using this erotic language to her lover. Like we, And in Ephesians 5, it says... You know, this is like the classic marriage passage. In Ephesians 5, it talks about the husband should lay down his life for his wife. That's in all areas. So if we're applying that to sex, then men, you don't get permission to say, this is my need, do what I want. You just don't get that permission because scripture does not support that. Now, there is a mutual giving, and there is a self-sacrifice that comes with it, but there's mutuality in the language. So we've got to drop the message of sex is a duty for the wife if you really love Jesus, okay? Um, The desire for sexual intimacy and the ability for pleasure are present in both the man and the woman. In fact... The woman's pleasure organ, the clitoris, is only present for pleasure. There is no other purpose. Now, there are differences in sex drive, and there are difficulties with feeling pleasure, and we'll come back to that. So I don't want that to sound like a blanket statement, like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm broken if I haven't felt pleasure. We're going to come back to that. But I think these are good arguments to unravel the message that has been sent to us. Last mindset, give your man sex so he will not look at porn. What in the world? That is not helpful. 
Now, we both, ha- we both, both male and female, have sexual needs. And part of marriage is a place to have those needs fulfilled. Yes. But you are not responsible for your husband's choices. Now, here's, I'm, I'm saying husbands. Porn is a both genders issue, okay? Can we just say it like that? It is not only men that struggle with porn. Women struggle with pornography as well. However, I'm using this language because it's the message that's been sent. There's been a message that's been sent that women, you are responsible for your husband not turning to porn. So then what happens when there is a man who chooses to sin and go to porn? Guess who feels responsible? The woman. But whose choice was it? The man. So I'm going to give you some more scripture just to back this up so you know I'm not just a crazy person. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 5 says, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So I am responsible for my body. If I look at pornography, I do not get to blame Austin and say, you have not been giving me my marital rights. That's not okay. We don't get to blame other people for our sin choices. Now, if there is a withholding of marital rights, there does need to be discussion, right? Because for the, um, the passage in 1 Corinthians 7 talks about not withholding sex from one another. So if there is a withholding, that is another issue, but it does not give you license to go to sin. Amen. Another common unhelpful mindset about sex that ends up in shame, okay, is a contaminated view of sex. So this could come from previous experiences, okay? Sex outside of marriage, uh, looking at pornography, masturbation, the likes, okay? For me, I grew up in the church. I knew that sex was bad before marriage, okay? I heard all of that. But the truth was, no one talked me about sex, okay? I, I turned to pornography and I'm very open about that, okay, and that season of my life. I learned more about sex from pornography than I did from anyone else. No one told me what sex is supposed to look like, but pornography did. No one told me what, what, what it should be, okay? So for me, there was a, lot, there was a contaminated view of sex, okay? Um, another contaminated view of sex is viewing your spouse as an object to please you. There might be some disappointment for some people, okay? The thought that runs through your head, okay, now I'm married, wait a minute, this is it. Like, it, it's Jill and I forever, and there's no one else. Ooh, there might be disappointment there. That's a contaminated view of sex, um, Physical pleasure over intimacy. That's a contaminated view of, of, of sex. I want pleasure for myself more than I want intimacy with my wife. There's selfishness that, that happens, okay, that can happen in sex. Um, 
there is a really good book. It's called Unwanted by Jay Stringer. It is back in the book nook. It is a really good read. Um, I would encourage you for, for people that are struggling with pornography, that are struggling with the shame of it, okay? Um, I have a men's accountability group that we meet uh, once a month. Okay, Our next meeting is March 16th. It's a Saturday morning at 6.30 to 8 a.m. at my house. Men, you are welcome, okay? Um, we have a contaminated view of sex, and we need to have a biblical righteous view of sex, okay? So um, I think it's important that we also discuss that trauma impacts our perspective of sex. Um, I, I've shared several times um, throughout this workshop that I am a victim of sexual abuse, um, the stats are actually that one in four women have been sexually abused. One in six men have been sexually abused. And so those are things that we bring into our marriage that end up impacting it. Um, Austin and I are very happy to talk about those things, but we, will, we would also recommend professional counseling if you're finding that trauma is playing a factor into your sexual intimacy um, there's help and there's hope. And I will say from my personal history that I am a testimony of having a good sex life even though I was sexually abused and even though there was broken trust in our marriage. We have seen the redemption of God. And if you are feeling like there is no hope, I can tell you that there is hope. There is hope. It does not have to stay this way forever. So abuse would be a trauma factor. There are also physical difficulties, whether it's chronic pain, sexual dysfunction, vaginismus. Um, vaginismus, if you haven't heard that word before, is pain with sex. So the way that God designed sex, it isn't supposed to be painful. But if it is, you likely have what's called vaginismus. It's estimated that 5 to 17% of women have it. Um, so this is specific to penetration, that it is painful for that. There are muscle spasms and it is painful. And a surprising piece of research is that the rates of vaginismus increase significantly for women who come from a conservative church background. Why? Because our bodies respond physically to what our brains believe. We've been telling women, you're not going to like sex. And then we're surprised when our bodies reject sex. So if that is you, again, I want to tell you there is hope, and you are not broken, and you are not alone. I would recommend counseling, pelvic floor therapy, talk to your OB. Um, I'm happy to talk to you more, um, but I at least want you to leave tonight with one main tip, and that would be this. If you are a woman who struggles with pain with sex, men, I need you to listen to because you're part of this because you're part of the sexual intimacy with your wife. If your wife is having trouble because it's painful, take intercourse off the table and let it be pleasurable for her to have sexual encounters that do not include penetration. Teach her body that there can be pleasure by taking intercourse off the table. That is one of 
the main tips that researchers give for conquering the pain with that? So we need a redeemed view of sex in the church. Um, typically, and this is what research shows, is that to retrain your brain and the pathways in your brain takes two to three years. Okay, So go with me here. Okay, If you think about a wheat field, a big wheat field, and you walk from one end of that wheat field to the other end, and you turn around and you look back, you're probably not going to see exactly where you walked. But if over the years you walk back and forth and back and forth on that same path, you're going you're gonna to wear down a path, right? And when, when we walk in things of the world, okay, when our brain is trained in that way, we follow that path. It's very easy to follow that path. It is not easy to get off of that path and onto another path. Okay, But what do we have to do? We have to decide, no, we're not going to continue doing these things that are of the world. We're going to step off of that path and walk in godliness. Okay, It's not going to feel great. We're walking through high wheat. But the more we do it and we walk back and forth and back and forth, we'll develop that path. Okay, What happens to the old path? It starts to grow back up. Okay, So retraining your brain takes time. Okay? Can God do it in an instant? Yes. I believe that. Does it always happen like that? No, it does not. Okay? It takes discipline in doing what the Lord says over and over and over. Okay? Um, so how does pornography impact sex? One way is feeding the entitlement attitude. Okay? Um, meet my needs, specifically among men, Erectile dysfunction is a huge issue with young people. Why? Pornography. Pornography is very different than actually having sex with your wife. Okay? Um, there are so many stories out there of, of Christian men, people that have grown up in the church, they've been addicted to pornography since they were nine years old, and... They think they've saved themselves before to, for marriage, okay? They go into, they get married, they go into the marriage bed, and they can't even get an erection. True. This is true. In the next six months to a year, it's them trying to figure out what is going on, right? And the shame around that, who do they talk to? No one. What happens in the marriage? There's a lot of conflict, okay? Um there are a lot of sexual performance issues, okay, because of pornography. It affects satisfaction, okay. For Jill and I, when I was in the was I when I was watching pornography, and masturbating, our intimacy was not good. We weren't satisfied. She wasn't satisfied. I wasn't satisfied. She couldn't figure out what it was. I knew what it was because she didn't know, right? Because I kept it hidden from her. That's not and the way I to blamed go. myself because of my own history of sexual abuse. I'm like, what's wrong with me? I'm broken. Like, why am I not satisfied? Maybe it's because of my own trauma and my own history. And so I turned inward and like self-blaming, not knowing that he was hiding secret sin. And I continue to tell her, no, it's not you. It's not you. But I never told her what it was. Right. 
So satisfaction in intimacy and sex doesn't happen. Okay? And I will say, the Lord has redeemed it greatly. Praise the Lord. Um, maybe the way your family of origin viewed sex or talked about sex or didn't talk about sex affects the narrative that you believe. For example, if sex was never talked about, how do you know how to talk about it, right? Um, no, again, like I said, nobody told me about sex. So how am I to know how to talk to Jill about it? It's a big part of our lives, okay? What about this? Sex should be easy and natural. It doesn't take any work. Does anybody believe that? No. Okay, what's easier? Pornography, couple clicks, way easier, okay? It does take work. Is it worth it? Yes, it is very worth it, okay? Um, regardless where you may have picked up shame around sex, our hope is that you begin to shed it. Maybe you have a really healthy, great view of sex and that's fantastic. But if you're struggling, I pray that you experience a new freedom tonight, okay? We're going to have you guys talking as couples. If there's shame there, push through. Push through. Lord, this is not of you. You design sex, so let's have this conversation, okay? Um, as Christians, we should be having the best sex, okay? And I'm not talking about bringing in crazy things and doing, doing stunts and all this. I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that would mean, okay? But we're not, I'm not talking about that, okay? God designed sex. We should have the best sex, period, okay? And that doesn't mean that there's not difficulties. There does, it doesn't mean it's not, hard, it's not hard work because it is, but we should be having the best sex. It should be mutually pleasurable. If it's not mutually pleasurable, why are we doing it? Okay. So before we get into discussions, um, we're going to lay out some parameters that will hopefully be helpful for you, not just for tonight, but as you, so we said one of our goals with this, this would be the start of a discussion. Um, so we're going to lay out some parameters that hopefully you can take with you as well. So um, a few weeks months ago, we talked about eye-to-eye -eye conversation and shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder conversation, and we laughed about it. This would be a conversation that shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder might feel a little less intimidating, okay? So if you are a couple that struggles to talk about sex, doing it shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder might help you, okay? Um, doing it at a time and a place that sex is off the table. So acknowledging that like, okay, we need to talk about sex, but we're not having sex tonight. Don't do it on your bed, okay? Maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe you're on the couch. I don't know. Maybe you have sex on the couch. I don't know. But, but clearing the air of like, we're going to talk about it, but then are you like wanting it? But then can I really be, just take it off the table, okay? And do it in a place where, where it feels like safe to have the conversation. I would encourage you to express longings and not disappointments. 
So expressing that I long for deeper connection rather than I'm not feeling connected to you, okay? Do you hear the language about that where you're expressing a longing? And then being specific. So this is going to take some courage because for many of us, it hasn't been a comfortable topic to talk about sex or sexual encounters. And so it might feel funny and awkward and uncomfortable to talk specifics, but speaking in generalities is not going to help your spouse read your mind. So we talked about communication several months ago, and the more specific and clear that we can get, the better our sex lives are going to be. Okay, last parameter, please, no negative talk about your spouse's body. Just don't go there. Sex is more than a body, and it's more than physical attraction. So no negative comments about your spouse's body. It just isn't helpful. It doesn't lead to oneness. It doesn't lead to vulnerability. It doesn't lead to trust. It doesn't lead to fulfillment. Okay? So, shoulder to shoulder, sex is off the table, express longings, be specific, no negative body talk. So we're going to set you to discussion, and your question is, what makes it difficult to talk about sex? That's where we'll get started. Yeah. I think there needs to be open. So the question was um, thinking about being open and honest and talking about maybe previous encounters with other partners or sexual escapades or whatever it might be. How specific do you get? Okay. Um, We have found, okay, that there's not a question that I'm not going to answer for Jill. I'm not going to tell her, no, I'm not going to go there. Okay. With the broken trust. With the broken trust. Okay. Um, that being said, is it healthy to say, okay, um, was he blonde? How muscular was he? How, right? Or, or vice versa. Okay. Is that really helpful to know? No, I don't think it is. Yeah, I would say that the discretion on my part is like, what's the motivation of my question? Am I. I, so, to be transparent, I think questions about his sexual past tend to be more like, like, how did you end up there? Like, why didn't you get help sooner? What could I have done differently? Like, these more, like, generic questions. Like, it isn't helpful for me to know what his searches were. And in fact, so Austin went to counseling um, with a Christian sex therapist. We're happy to pass that name along to anyone who feels like they could benefit from that. And I asked him a similar question, like, how much do I need to know and how much should I, like, not know? And I guess your question was more related to, like, sin prior to the relationship. And I guess I'm answering it not quite how you said it. So let me finish this thought, and then I'll come back to that. Um, So his recommendation, again, was like, what's your motivation for knowing? I don't really think the details of his, like, Google searches are really beneficial for you because it just leads you down a path of comparison, self-hatred. Like, what's the point? There's no, like, mutual benefit in that. And then I would say, like, similarly – if 
you have a sexual past that you're bringing into the marriage, I don't think that details are helpful because the point is you're building intimacy with your spouse. So like Austin's examples of like what you were attracted to or even things that you have tried with a previous partner, I I just don't think are helpful. So again, maybe if there is something that you want to try sexually in your marital relationship, I think that you can express that in a way of like, could we try this rather than I've done this before? Like, I just, I think that there is a way to build intimacy and express like something that was pleasurable to you without it getting into the nitty gritty of your past sin. Just one verse that comes to mind is about being a new creation. Like if the old is past and we really are a new creation, then what benefit is it to go back to the old self? Um, so discuss as couples, what makes it difficult to talk about sex? All right, you can come on back from your discussions. So Austin said earlier that intimacy isn't always sex, and unfortunately sex isn't always intimacy. So what is sexual intimacy? Well, it's not just intercourse, right? It's a lot of things around intercourse, but it's not only intercourse. Um, So Julie Slattery, I mentioned her earlier, she separates sexual activity from sexual intimacy like this. Sexual activity is only about your bodies. Sexual intimacy is about two people journeying toward being fully naked and unashamed, not only physically, but in other aspects of life. It's a great description of sexual intimacy. Just for a minute, I want you to think to yourself, I'm going to have you do a rating question from 1 to 10. So, just to yourself quietly, rate how satisfied you are with your sexual intimacy. 1 is terrible, 10 is awesome. And just keep that number in mind. I'll give you just a few seconds to think about it. All right. Keep that number in mind. We'll come back to it at the end of the night, but don't share it with your spouse at this point. Sexual intimacy. Okay, Tony and Elisa DiLorenzo, you're going to hear me talk about a few like few different resource, resources that I would recommend. So Tony and Elisa do a podcast called the One Marriage Podcast. These are the six pillars people. Um, they have great stuff out there, especially if you're looking for something specific to your marital intimacy. They have like... 500 episodes or something, maybe 300. I mean, like tons. They've been doing it for 13 or 14 years now. Um, So I really appreciate these people, Tony and Elisa. Um, So they say that sexual intimacy includes romance, initiation, foreplay, and intercourse. So romance is whatever you do or say to make your spouse feel loved and seen, to make them feel special, And you as a couple get to define what romance is. So romance may not be the same for us as it is for you. You get to define that. But it's whatever you're doing to make your spouse feel loved and seen. Initiation is anything that you do or say to attempt to allure your spouse or draw them into a sexual experience with you. These could be words or actions. 
And then foreplay is the emotional and sexual touches that come before intercourse, intending to build excitement, anticipation, and to prepare your body for intercourse. Intercourse, then, is the sexual contact that involves penetration. So those would be the definitions for you. And sexual intimacy includes all four pieces of that. So thinking about romance, like Jill said, romance is going to be different for each one of you guys. Okay, Something for us um, that really, for me to romance Jill, is when I plan a date. And what does that mean? It's not just I put it on the calendar. Okay, guys? Book the babysitter. I book the babysitter. I figure out where we're going to go. I, fi- I communicate with the babysitter when to be there. I follow up with them, right? I do all of that legwork. That is very romancing to Jill, okay? Blocking out time in my schedule. Um, I swoon when he's like, hey, I blocked out a Friday and I booked a babysitter. <gasps> what? So when I write her a note, okay, that's romancing her. When I send her a text in the middle of a busy day, Letting her know I'm thinking about her, okay? Um, When I make the environment inviting, when I light candles and dim the lights, when I clean our room, okay? When I wash my body. Okay, let's be real. Having a sweaty, nasty body is not attractive. Men, specifically. Not romantic. Okay? Um, speak, when I speak loving words to her, when I edify her and honor her and build her up, okay? Um, what is initiation, okay? Expressing hopes and desires, okay? We talked about, I mean, this is just communication, right? For me to send her a text as we're communicating throughout the day and say, hey, I would love to make love tonight. That's initiating, Okay? Um, with kids around that are learning more and more, we have to use some code words. Foie gras. That's, that's Ben's I wish apparently. you hadn't shared that with us, Ben. <laughs> uh, letting a kiss linger, okay? Loving touches. Going to bed early, right? Hey, we just got the kids down. We're downstairs for a couple of minutes. Let's go up to bed. That's initiating, okay? Um, So what's foreplay, okay? Maybe playing a game to get undressed. Making out, giving a massage, okay? Using ice to glide over skin. Never done that. It was on a list. It's interesting. It was on Tony and Elisa's list. We'll report back. Um. We probably won't we report back. We will not back. report back. <laughs> no. <laughs> if you need to know about intercourse, we're happy to share. Okay. We're not going to share. A little more. We already um, described it. So, as couples, okay, when it comes to each of the following, okay, you see them up there, what is meaningful to you regarding romance, initiation, foreplay, and intercourse? What is meaningful to you? Discuss, please. All right, you can come on back from your conversations. 
Hope that was helpful for you. If you didn't get a chance to finish the conversation, um, definitely come back to it. Um, we're still talking about what sexual intimacy is. And so um, Sheila Gregoire, she, um, disclaimer, I don't love all of her stuff, but she has some really great resources out there. We actually have three of her resources up here. Um, they have a good guy's guide to great sex, a good girl's guide to great sex, and then the great sex rescue. So they did a large scale research on sexual everything, um, but specific to like a Christian worldview. Um, and so You'll hear us the rest of the night pulling from some of their material. They have really great stuff. Um, but like I said, I, I don't love everything I've heard her speak on. Um, okay, so the Gregoires say that sex is intended to be mutual, intimate, and pleasurable, which we touched on when we talked about the purpose of sex. We can see that in Scripture, that it's mutual, supposed to be mutual, intimate, and pleasurable. If one is missing... There is likely dissatisfaction for at least one of you, but probably both of you. So if it's mutual, both partners are feeling very satisfied. Both of the voices are represented in your sexual life. It isn't one-sided. So back to that duty sex thing, that's not a mutual perspective. That's not mutuality in sex. Intimate, so this is, of course, beyond the physical of sex and into, it speaks to the emotional connection. Are there feelings of safety in your marriage as a whole that overflows into your sexual interactions? If you're not feeling safe in your marriage, then sex probably isn't feeling very intimate to you. Austin said earlier something like you might be having sex, but it might not be enjoyable or some something like that um, and then pleasurable so is it physically pleasurable for both partners so again we talked about health concerns that would make that difficult um, but that's not the end all be all there are ways to work around it and there are ways to overcome some of those things so um, again as couples when it comes to being mutual we're going to discuss this slide basically when it comes to being mutual intimate and pleasurable all right, hopefully that was helpful for you. Again, feel free to come back to these conversations if you didn't get to um, talk on all three of the topics. Okay, so your sexual intimacy is a good thermometer of overall health in your marriage. If your communication is struggling, likely your sexual intimacy is also struggling. Um, Tony and Elisa DeLorenzo that I referred to earlier, their podcast is called One Extraordinary Marriage. They are big on what they call the six pillars of intimacy. Um, I've referred to them before, but I want to touch on them again. Um, I just think it's important here as we're talking about sexual intimacy. Um, so the six pillars are recreational, financial, spiritual, emotional, sexual, and physical. So those are the six areas that we want to be working on in our marriage to have a strong and healthy, intimate life. Emotional intimacy is kind of a workhorse, meaning that all the other five pillars tend to kind of lean on it in one way or another, that if we aren't emotionally intimate with our spouse, if that pillar is feeling like it's crumbling, it's probably impacting all five of the others. Um, and then I would, and then 
sexual intimacy can be a reflection of how strong the other five are. So often sexual intimacy is difficult when, um, when we don't feel like we've had the emotional connection or the recreation with our spouse or the spiritual connection with our spouse. Um, so I want to emphasize one thing. Um, they break apart physical intimacy and sexual intimacy, and there's a reason for that. Um, because there needs to be physical touch that does not lead to sex. Um, so think about this, that if the only time you're really touching your spouse or giving meaningful touch to your spouse is when you're attempting to initiate sex, then your touches aren't really creating safety right? It can feel aggressive. It can feel like, I don't know if I want sex tonight. Not because I don't want you, but oh, like, you know, it can create this kind of like panicky feeling if touch is only ever initiation. Now, we just got done talking about that touch can be a part of initiation. So you have to start to distinguish these things with your spouse. Um, like kissing, massages, holding hands can't always lead to sex. Like you need to be able to build that physical intimacy and have those meaningful touches that aren't always like sex is on the line. Okay. Um, so Proverbs 5, 18 through 19, we have to go here tonight. Come on. It says, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Be satisfied with your wife's breasts. Yes. But do you sneak up on a deer? No. Are you aggressive with a deer? No. Okay. Be gentle. Be methodical. Enjoy her. Be kind to her. Um, along the lines, well, we'll come back to this. Um, okay, so if the majority of the touches in your marriage have been that ask for sex, then revisit this conversation at home. First of all, making a commitment to incorporate loving touches that don't lead to sex. And then second of all, discussing what, what does feel good to have initiation, what does feel good in regards to initiation. So there's like a two-part homework for you if that is a struggle for you guys, okay? Um, recreational intimacy, we do need to build in fun and joy to our marriage. We need to be having fun with our spouse. If we go back to the session where we talked about the sound marital house, we spent a lot of time talking about building that friendship, building that admiration. And so if you're not having fun, if you're not feeling that sense of friendship and connection, likely sex also doesn't feel like friendship and fun and connection. Financially, um, if this pillar, it feels like there's broken trust or like my voice isn't represented, then it's very likely that that's carrying into your sexual intimacy as well. Um, those disagreements can make their way into the bed. Um, spiritually, are you longing for deeper connection spiritually? And if, you're, if you are feeling connected spiritually, probably sex feels really good too. So just thinking about those six pillars feels like an important part of tonight's discussion because all of it is connected. So what I want you to do now is on a scale of 1 to 10, okay, 1 being not connected at all, 10 being super connected, just individually, rate how connected you're feeling through sexual intimacy. Okay. Now, as couples, share your answer with your spouse. 
give specific examples of what helps you connect or what could help you connect more. Thanks for sharing, guys. Um, if your number isn't where you want it to be, there is hope, right? We're going to talk about some more ways that you can feel more connected here tonight. Um, there are two common conflicts around sex that are typical. Um, a disparity in sex drives, or libido, and a disparity in frequency. Okay, Research shows that communication improves frequency and satisfaction. Our hope is that some of the communication that you've started tonight will continue on, and that will lead to improvements for you in sex and intimacy. All right, so let's jump into the conflict around differences in sex drive. So first of all, let's just clear the air. It is not helpful to say men always, women always, okay? So many times when, when sex is talked about in mixed company, it's like people say men have a higher sex drive, women have a low sex drive. That's not necessarily true. Um, the research shows that in only 58% of marriages, men's drive is higher. So is that technically the majority? Yes. But 58%? Like that leaves a lot of marriages that the man's sex drive is not higher. So the rest of them would be same or the woman's drive is higher. So it's just not helpful to say men always have the higher sex drive. It's often been compared to like men are taller than women. Is that true? Kind of. Like a lot of men mostly are taller, but do we know plenty of tall women who are taller than men that we know? Yeah. So it's on a spectrum and it's just not helpful. Um, I want to talk about two types of desire, okay? This might get a little bit like textbook, but I want you to hang with me because I think it can be helpful for your marriage, okay? So research shows that there are two types of desire, not just around sex, okay? There are two types of desire that are going on in our brain. There's an initiating desire and a responsive desire, okay? So initiating desire is like what we would describe as like cravings, like a woman that's pregnant has cravings. She's getting these like initiating desires for ice cream and pickles and potato chips, okay? It's like her feelings go first and then she gets the food, okay? Then she takes the action. Responsive desire is this. Probably none of you were really thinking about ice cream until I mentioned it, but now that I mentioned it, do you kind of want some ice cream? The Sullivans do. That's responsive desire, okay? So putting it in your mind is awakening a desire in you, okay? But what if I said to the Sullivans, you don't really want ice cream because it wasn't your idea. They still, they want ice cream, okay? But that's what we do with sex a lot of times, right? So if you are a person, I, let me explain it a little bit further and then I'll make the application, okay? So initiating desire is like my feelings go first and then I take the action. A responsive desire is I'm going to take some action and then my feelings will follow, okay? 
So if we go back to the ice cream analogy, it's like if you're just craving it, it's on your mind. You can't get it off your mind. I want to go get ice cream. We're going to go get ice cream after this. Hey, babe, where do you want to go? We're going to get ice cream. Like your feelings are going first and then the action goes. But the example of like I mentioned it to the Sullivans and then it's like awakening the feelings. Okay. So if we apply that to sex, sometimes it takes the steps of action before our emotions or our desire catches up to it, okay? So a lot of times people are like, I'm going to use this stereotype here, but people will be like, my wife never wants sex. Well, maybe she has more of a responsive desire that once she takes some action steps, maybe she changes her clothes into something she feels good in, changes her mindset. She heard you say that you'd like to make love tonight. She starts taking these steps towards it. Then maybe her feelings will follow or even her bodily response will follow. Make sense? But people want to say... Well, because it wasn't your idea, you don't really want it. But that's not true. I mean, we wouldn't say that with ice cream, but we do say that with sex. There may not be as much of a disparity in your drive, in your libido, in your your desire for sex as you think, but maybe it's a difference of initiating desire versus responsive desire. Now, let's not get this confused. It doesn't necessarily mean that the person with initiating desire is always the one initiating sex, okay? So I tend to have more of a responsive desire, which means that, okay, I'm going to change the clothes. I'm going to get in the mindset. I'm going to take the steps and my feelings will follow, and I end up initiating, but I'm the one with the responsive desire. Did I just muddy the waters? Okay, so initiating desire is not the same as initiating sex. Initiating desire, responsive desire. What questions do you have on that? Awesome. Okay, I want you to think about which one you're more likely to have when it comes to sex. Are you more likely that your feelings go first and then you make the action? That's initiating. Or are you more likely, more like the person that takes the action first and the feelings follow. That's responsive desire. Okay? I'm going to let you talk to your spouse about initiating versus responsive desire. Okay, guys, come on back. So before considering or before assuming that you have low libido, consider what else might be going on. Does sex feel mutual? Does it feel intimate? Does it feel pleasurable? Do you regularly regularly have orgasms? The more you have sex, the more you think about sex and want it. There are factors that impact libido. Stress, hormones, life changes, aging, medications, kids, okay? There are certain foods, there are vitamins and minerals that can help boost your libido libido, if that (laughs) is what is actually going on, okay? Do you remember the trivia question of the celebration ordination? Who's most likely to mix up their words? Yeah, that's me. (laughs) So I want to read a little bit from The Great Sex Rescue, okay, by Sheila Ray. I was going to say Gregory. 
Gregoire. Wow. Like foie gras. Okay. All right. So uh, on page 45 and 46, it says, let's talk about what researchers call the orgasm gap. Researchers, research has repeatedly found that over 90% of men almost always or always orgasm with sex compared to the rate of orgasm for women from our survey, 48%. So we find ourselves with at least a 42% orgasm gap. This gap is simply because we, we, is it, is this gap simply because women don't orgasm easily? No. Research shows that when masturbating, women can reach orgasm in under 10 minutes. Women's physical ability to orgasm then isn't the problem. What, the re what if the real issue is that we have failed to teach couples how to have sex that's good for her? Men and women reach orgasm differently. While men easily reach orgasm with intercourse, and indeed their orgasm often signals the end of an encounter, for women, the relationship between intercourse and orgasm is not as straightforward. Of the women in our survey who were able to orgasm, only 39% are able to orgasm through penetrative intercourse alone. The rest needed other kind of stimulation. 1 Peter 3.7 talks about honoring your wife so that your prayers are not hindered. Husbands, go with me here in this story. So we know that dates are important, right? Going on dates with our spouses are important. So we set a regular uh, date interval, a couple of weeks, whatever it is for you guys. You get bait, you get child care if you need that, and you go to a nice restaurant, okay? Um, and on the menu, they have great appetizers. They've got some great steaks, okay, and some fantastic dessert. And so you order everything at once, okay, and you're sitting there, you're having a wonderful time, and the waiter brings out the first course, the appetizers, and for you guys, sorry, it's, it's actually coming a little later. Your wife gets her appetizer. So she's enjoying it. You know, like, man, this, that looks delicious, um, but I can't wait for mine. And then her steak comes out, and it is a big, juicy steak with potatoes and whatever else, okay? And so she starts eating it, and meanwhile, the waiter comes out, hey, I'm sorry, um, your appetizer and your main course, they're just running a little behind but we'll get it out to you as soon as we can. She finishes her steak. Dessert comes, and she starts eating her dessert. And meanwhile, finally the appetizer comes out. And so you get a couple of minutes to eat a couple of wings, um, to eat some brie cheese, whatever it is, okay? And then all of a sudden she's done with her appetizer, or with her, with her dessert, and she wipes her mouth, she puts it down, hey, this is fantastic, let's go. And you're trying to eat a bite as you're walking out the door. And this happens over and over 
and over and over. Men, are you going to be interested in going on dates with your wife to that restaurant? No. I'm not. I don't want anything to do with that. But how often does this happen to our wives? Okay. We have to learn our wives. We have to study them. We have to communicate. And we have to be selfless. Okay. I would encourage you men to to consider this. Your main and only goal in sex and intimacy is her pleasure. That's it. And if you can do that, I promise you, you're going to feel good too. Right? So we have to die to ourselves, and we have to put our wives needs and desires in front of our own okay I promise you if you do that your sex life will improve your intimacy will improve she's going to want to have sex more I promise it right yeah and so that being said um if you as a couple have had difficulty with the wife having an orgasm Um, there's hope. Give yourself some time. Give yourself some permission to explore. Give yourself some grace. Um, if your husband is serious about helping to find, helping you to find out what's pleasurable, give yourself some time and some grace, okay? It's okay to laugh along the way. It's okay if it's not perfect every time. It's okay if it's kind of clumsy. Um, But like Austin read from The Great Sex Rescue, the mechanics of orgasm for a woman are more complex than they are for a man. It's typically not through intercourse. So here are some tips for you as women. Um, When something feels good, tell him if you're not already. If you want to move his hand, move his hand so that he knows Like, he's not going to read your mind. Um, Be patient. Be intentional. Another idea that's mentioned in one of the Gregoire's books is what they basically call, like, A versus B. So put two things up against one another. Basically, like, touch here or touch there. Which one feels better? Touch like this or touch like that? Which one feels better? Like, that's, like, methodical research. I'm not trying to, like, take the fun out of it. But if you are having difficulty with knowing what feels good to your body, typically women are less familiar with their body. Um, And so that is just another tip if you aren't sure what feels good to do that A versus B type of experimentation. Um, Women, if you still feel uncomfortable, we have resources that we would love to get to you. I'm happy to talk with you more about your body. Um, These um, Good Girls Guide, Good Guys Guide are also really helpful resources. Um, And then before we move into the next section, I do want to just mention, so the sex cycle, so um, Good Girls Guide talks about it on page 43. Um, So Putting sex into technical terms, our bodies go through stages. Um, For some of you, you might think, like, why are we talking about this? For others of you, you're like, finally, someone is going to, like, tell me. Um, But to put it in technical terms, there, there is a sexual response cycle. 
our bodies are meant to respond in a certain order, and it sex is a progression from one step to another. So there's excitement, which leads to arousal, which leads to plateau, which leads to orgasm, and then resolution. So if you're having trouble getting to that point of orgasm, it might be that we need to focus more on those previous three phases um, to teach your body how to experience the most pleasure. All right, switching gears. We were talking about sex drive. Now we're going to talk about dis differences in frequency of sex. Okay, so we are saying the two common conflicts around sex are sex um, drives and then um, frequency. So frequency is a symptom, not the issue itself. If there's dissatisfaction in sexual intimacy, taking a look at what else might be impacting it is the first place to start. Based on the Gregoire's research, when these five things are present, frequency of sex is not a crisis. So these five things for both husband and wife. Is there regularly an orgasm? Is there feeling of connection? Is the marriage stable? Is porn or adultery absent? And is sexual dysfunction absent? So once again, I just want to comment on the sexual dysfunction that if that is present, there is hope, okay? That does not mean that you will always, always, always have to suffer and sex will never be enjoyable. There is hope. If there are health issues that are affecting your sex, um, a doctor, a counselor, sex therapist, pelvic floor therapist, there are resources. And even within these books, I think that you would find a lot of helpful information. Great. All right. How many of you know how a car works? How many of you know how to stop or go? All of us. Do you know how to press the brakes, press the gas? All right, let's apply this to our sex lives, okay? In our brains, we have two systems, the brakes and the accelerator. It's technically called the sexual excitement system and the sexual inhibition system if you want to get really technical. So our brains are wired this way to either brake or accelerate. So if you want to have a good sex life, we want to figure out how to get our fit foot off the brake and onto the accelerators. So some brakes that tell, actually like tell our brain that sex is not desirable would be worry, especially for women, feeling used, marital disconnection, worry about whether you will get aroused or have pleasure, insecurities, Sexual conditioning, meaning the lessons that we've learned and adopted. Environmental and external factors like crying children, feeling rushed, knocks on the door. Lots of things could be a break for you. Um, or fears. So last month, we talked about top 20 relational fears and how those might come up in conflict I want to pass these out again um, because it's very likely that fears would also be creeping into bed with us. If we fear rejection, guess what? Like, we're going to feel rejected at times when it comes to exposing our bodies, right? If we are fearful of powerlessness, I talked a little bit more about this in our last session, but if you feel powerless in your marriage, you likely feel powerless and like you don't have a voice in the bedroom. 
that's going to be a break. Um, fears are going to be something that tells your brain, I don't really want sex. We aren't really going to work with this. I just want you to have it as a resource. Um, so it's there for you if it's helpful. If not, you can toss it. So we talked about breaks. Um, so some accelerators are focusing on the good in your spouse. So this goes back to the positive sentiment override. So particularly if you have a responsive desire to sex, teaching yourself to think about like, man, Austin really loved me well. He did the dishes this morning, and that was so helpful for my day. I love it when he laughs with our kids and reads to them. Like, remembering the things that you love, especially for us women, it is helpful to remind ourselves of the things we love about our husbands. Um, intentionally thinking about sex tells your brain you want it. Or Austin said earlier, the more sex we have, the more we do think about it. So sex does breed more sex. Now, there are caveats to that. It's not a blanket statement. It doesn't always exactly work that way. But when we're talking about accelerators, if you purpose in your heart to think about it more, your, your body's going to want it more. Were you going to say something? Okay. Um, 80% of women need some level of fantasizing. Let me explain that before you get wacky. Um, for arousal. So that means setting your mind on it, building anticipation for it, letting your mind wander to a sexual encounter with your husband first is what they mean by that, not some wacky thing, okay? Um, so a game can help with that. We're going to talk about our thoughts on some other things in a few minutes, but if anticipation is part of what helps with those, the sex cycle of excitement and arousal, then inviting a game into your bedroom that, that builds intimacy because it's creating that excitement, anticipation, and getting your mind and your body into the direction of sex, I, we say go for it. Um, women tend to need the emotional connection to get there, and then they need foreplay to fully enjoy it. So as we're talking about accelerators, I want you to think about your five senses, okay? I feel like we need to do some jumping jacks. I am like feel like I'm losing people. Sorry. All right. We're not trying to belabor it. We're just trying to be helpful. All right. So thinking about your five senses, what you see, feel, smell, taste, hear, did I get all of them? Touch, feel, yeah. Okay, so think about what do you want to see in your room? So Austin mentioned earlier, clean up the room is romance for me because having sex in a messy room is not fun. Having order is helpful, okay? What do you want to see? Do you want it to be organized? Do you want the bed made? Do you want your bed glowing on the nightstand next to you? I don't. I don't know about you. Your, your phone glowing. Like, your bed glowing? Oh, your phone glowing. <laughs> your bed, surprise! <laughs> a glow bed. I don't know. Don't Google that. I don't know what might come up. I'm sorry. Do you want your phone glowing on the bed next to you? I mean, think about the visual cues that are either going to be accelerators or brakes for you. Um, do you want candlelight? Do you, how do you want to, like, set the tone of the room? Think about that touch or feel like are there certain textures that feel nice by the silky sheets if silky sheets 
help accelerate your sex life, just spend the money on them and buy them. Funny story. We were given silk sheets for our wedding, and I think we used them, like, only in the first month of our marriage. But one night, in the middle of the night, okay, Austin told me to go quickly. Um, Okay, so his pillow slides off the bed in the middle of the night, so he yanked mine out from underneath my head and took it. I yank it back. I'm like, that is my pillow. He's like, well, mine fell on the floor. I should have it. I'm like, get your own ding ding pillow. <laughs> so, silky sheets. There you go. Um, all right, we're still on touch. Wear something that you touch and feel. Wear something that you feel confident in. Okay, so again, for those of us that have more of a responsive desire, like, change your clothes. Like, get out of the grubby sweatpants, change your clothes, change your mind, right? Something you feel confident in. Um, and then going back to those initiation conversations, what are touches that are helping to build and accelerate your desire for sex? What do you want to smell? Okay, two big ones. Austin already talked about one. We don't want to smell your BO. Okay, take a shower. The other one, candles and scents. Are there smells that are bothersome? Are there smells that are helpful? Just think about it. Accelerators and brakes. Taste. Yes, we have to go here. Clean yourself. Brush your teeth. It matters. Okay? And then hearing. Do you want to hear your phone buzzing? Or should it be in another room maybe? Do you want to hear your kids on the monitors? No. Now, sometimes we can't control this, right? So... <laughs> If you're having a sexual encounter and you hear crying, if any of you are like me, it's a big fat break and we have to resume later because I just cannot get back there, okay? But think about it. If there's a way to change the sounds, um, do you like music? Do you like it quiet? Do you like to hear positive comments about your body from your spouse? Do you like to hear that they're enjoying it? Think about these things. Again, the conversation is brakes and accelerators. So through thinking through the five senses can help you as a couple to identify what are the brakes, what are the accelerators. We are not saying that you have to have all these desires met every time, right? Like we're not going to have the perfect setup every single time we have a sexual experience with our spouse. Um, but we're what we're trying to emphasize is that we can help ourselves and our spouses to ramp up the accelerators and get our feet off the brakes if there is a disparity between drive and frequency. So as you think through brakes and accelerators, share with your spouse what helps build you or build your desire for sexual intimacy. So just a couple of um, miscellaneous things here. Uh, we didn't really know where to put these, so we thought this was a good spot. Um, what what should be the role of toys? Okay. Well, I would ask, is it mutual? Is it intimate? And is it pleasurable? Is it truly adding to intimacy? Okay. If it's yes for all of those things, and it's and it's under the 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 Bible, I'm okay with it, right? Um, thinking about fantasy and role-playing, 
doesn't add intimacy. Okay? You're thinking about another scenario. You're making up something in your mind. It doesn't have to do with your spouse. Okay? We would say that has no place in the marriage bed. Okay? Like we mentioned, games can be helpful in the foreplay process to help your connection. Great. Are there some games that are not okay? Yes. Okay. Um, what about music? Music's okay if it edifies the Lord. Okay. Anything that doesn't edify the Lord, we believe has no place in the bedroom. Okay. The Bible talks about keeping the marriage bed pure and undefiled. Okay. Let's just talk about masturbation. Okay. Is there a place for that? We would say no. Okay. Masturbation is one-sided. It doesn't add to intimacy. It doesn't add to oneness. Okay. The Bible says that the husband's bodies, the husband's body is the wife's and the wife's body is the husband. How does that fit into masturbation? Okay. It does not. Another thing here, defer to the most conservative, okay? But also, if there is one spouse that is not interested in trying something new, get curious about yourself, okay? I'm not saying to do it, okay? I'm saying, is there shame attached to this? Is there something, something from your past that plays into your desire to not want to do it? Um, anal sex, I don't think that has a place. It doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with reproduction, okay? It's not very fulfilling, okay? If one of you doesn't want to have sex, is no okay? Yes. No is okay. But what I would say, define when it is okay. At, in that moment, hey, not tonight, I have a headache, I'm not feeling well, let's do it tomorrow night. Okay, that's all right. Scheduling sex is sexy, especially with kids in busy lives, okay? You're going to prioritize what's important to you, okay? If sex and intimacy is important to you, schedule it, because if you don't schedule it, you can go weeks and weeks and months and never have sex. One other thing, if you have children, please lock your door, okay? Might sound obvious, it, it's not, okay? Lock your door. All right, so bringing things to a close for tonight. Let's take a few moments and talk to your spouse about what you like about your sexual intimacy. All right, so at the beginning of the night, we asked you to rate um, your sexual satisfaction or your intimate, your blah, blah, blah. Try it again. At the beginning of the night, we asked you to rate from one to 10 your satisfaction with your sexual intimacy. So I want you to recall that number. And I want you to think of one thing that you can do, that you can do, not your spouse, to move that number up one. And then we'll give you a few minutes to share that with your spouse. 
sharing what you're going to do, not necessarily the number, but what you're going to do to move it up. Okay, come on back, guys. Men, I want to encourage you that going on dates is not the only answer, okay? Um, connection with your wife, emotional vulnerability, and creating an atmosphere of stability and safety is going to go way, way, way farther than taking her out to Ruth Chris. I'm going to quickly give you your homework. We'll also email it, but I'll just explain a couple of things. Um, read Song of Solomon, self-explanatory. Keep discussing sex. Build on those conversations that we started tonight. Um, implement any takeaways from this session and the others. I hope that that would be, like, implied. But we just really hope that there have been some tools that would be transformative for your marriage, um, some tips and tricks along the way that have helped you guys to um, reflect Christ better to one another and to a hurting world. Um, and then the last one, I just put some additional ideas. Um, again, this will come through an email, so I'll put links on these. But um, the One Marriage podcast has what they call 19 questions to, like, better sex or something like that and it's it's conversation starters like those date night questions that we had earlier but specific to sex um so I put that on there um a sex challenge so this would be um again this comes from the one marriage podcast um they do sex challenges where they they have like hey let's do a seven day sex challenge where we have sex for seven days in a row or they do like 21 and 65 and I mean they do all kinds of different numbers and the feedback on that is that it's so much more about sex and that prioritizing like the couples who have done it when they it's what I say oh yeah yeah it's less about sex that like the, the couples who have prioritized doing a sex challenge, yes, that sexual intimacy pillar strengthens, but that you're gaining so much more is the feedback that they get that they are realizing that, like, we're prioritizing each other better. We're communicating better. Now, I'm not just saying that because you're having more sex that everything else is better, but what they've noticed is that the those tend to go along with each other if you decide to do a sex challenge. Um we mentioned these two books, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. I would recommend these more than that, actually. I, I was wanting to emphasize the, the guidebooks. Um, and then one more thing that's not on there would be that A versus B strategy that I taught you about learning your body better. That, like, does this touch or that touch feel better? Does this part or that part feel better? So, um that would be another like additional idea to enhance that sexual intimacy and pleasure. We hope you guys have learned something, have gathered something, have be, are able to walk away here tonight and throughout really the last five months with some tools in your tool, tool belt to help you and, and to build your marriage, to strengthen your marriage, okay? Um, we plan to do things like this in the future, okay? This is the last one that we have scheduled at this point. Um, I'm excited to see um, the questionnaire that you guys have filled out and look at, okay, what can we go to next? So, um, yeah, let's pray and close. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you, God, that you designed sex for our pleasure, 
for fun, for reproduction, that you desired intimacy um, amongst spouses that can reflect the intimacy that we are to have with you. Father, would you help us to grow in intimacy with our spouse, to grow in love with our spouse even more. God, we love you. We need you. Uh, Be with us as we go from here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.